river's full of hope. I've got the urge to walk the prairie and chase the antelope. Aspen's gold on snow-capped peaks, the elk call me away. I can't keep my mind on working on this fine September day. I've got Nimrod Neurosis. Welcome back to the Track Quest Podcast. James Orr here. And as always, we've got Bob, the bow hunting, elk slaying, elk killing, Borland. <laughs> How's it going, up, buddy? Bob? Oh, good, man. Good. Busy, busy, like oh, always. Yeah, man, just playing all the catch up. Yep, for sure. Sorry uh, to our listeners that it's been a while. I know we're kind of doing a couple recaps here, but we've been gone hunting for a long time. So we'll get some awesome guests back on and... This coming week, we got a few lined up. If we can uh, talk our wives into letting us podcast after being gone elk hunting for a month, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. It's tough getting caught up in the honeydews with the wife, and we do apologize. We always, you know, wish that we could have put out a bunch of content during the hunt, but you know, hunting is uh, definitely more important than podcasting at this point yeah it's just that this time of year we'll try to do some we got a november mule deer hunt coming up here in a few weeks um james and i are going on that and we'll do some there the nights are a little longer that time of year it gets dark at five instead of eight or nine so elk season's just a they're long days you know you don't get back to camp until super late by the time you eat something shoots 10 o'clock and i know usually getting up at 3 30 or sometimes earlier to get to where you're going to go. So makes for long days. Yeah, definitely. Um, me and Bob drew a uh, Heart Mountain mule deer tag for November here in Oregon. And there is five tags available for that hunt this year. It kind of rotates from, I think, five to six. And we uh, are lucky to have two of those five tags because I twisted Bob's arm and talked him into using 18 of his hard, long-awaited deer points and 10 of mine to uh, come into the Oregon draw with 14 points. Um, and now we've got a, a really awesome place to go hunt deer if there's any deer there. <laughs> yeah, the, that's uh, it's a good area, but from all the people we know that have hunted it over the years, the deer population's way down because it's a federal refuge they don't allow hunting of cougars or coyotes or anything so they've taken a big hit but it's a beautiful place and Oregon's not uh, you know a real trophy mule deer area unless you have some good private land to go on so the draw hunts it's either for me it was either that or Metolius and I've Metolius is way down also so figured heck why not let's burn them so it'll be good yeah, it's going to be a super fun hunt. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, high desert. Um, they have hot springs there that we can dip in in the evenings. It's just, I, I had an antelope tag there last year, and it's some of the most beautiful country I've ever seen in my life. And um, it's going to be my first time hunting with Bob, which I'm really excited about. Um, I know Bob said that he didn't want to do uh, big dinners at night coming <laughs> off of elk hunting and you know, going to bed at 11 o'clock at night, getting up at three in the morning. I, I get that, 
but I had to remind Bob that uh, in November, the hunting, you know, we'll be back in camp at six o'clock. And uh, I think I've got him convinced to at least uh, try some of my food. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a huge food guy. And it was such a pain, you know, being in the desert hunting and just having to keep ice. And co- I wish we would have just went freeze dried, you know, just less garbage, less everything. So that was my biggest gripe for elk season. I just yeah. got so sick of having to you know, water bottles and this and that. It just felt like a just your typical American waster of garbage, you know. But the you'd be you have to run into town every so often and just get rid of bags of garbage. It was just terrible. So I told James the other day, yeah, when I got back, I'm like, we're not taking any food. We're just bringing freeze dried. He's like, whoa, 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 hang on a second. So <laughs> we'll have some good food. That is that is for sure. Yeah, that's what's nice about late season hunting is you do get back to camp and have an evening to uh, reflect and hang out and stuff. So uh, I'll be cooking Bob up some good uh, meat and vegetable dinners. And um, yeah, I think it's going to be a, an amazing hunt. I think it's only a seven day hunt, which is tough. I mean, that's a short hunt. So yeah, I'm going to show up a lot of time. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go try to tie a couple big bucks to the trees three or four days before season. And maybe that'll help. Yeah, James is going to go over early for us, which is nice. I was going to try, but it took me so dang long to find a dumb enough elk to kill this year that I didn't have any extra time. And me and my wife have an agreement on how many days I get to hunt, and I've already used up quite a few of them. So, And I didn't know when we put in for it. I didn't even think about the calendar dates that Halloween is basically the night before the opener, and my daughter's three and a half. And I can't miss trick-or-treating with her at this age. So I'm actually going to go trick-or-treating, and then I'm going to have to drive. It's about a seven-hour drive from my place. As soon as trick-or-treating's over, I'm going to be driving all night and meeting James over there. And he's going to have camp all set up and have the tent all warm when I get there. And a couple bucks tied to a tree. That's the plan. It'll be time to go hunting when you get yeah, there, I think, yeah. or at least to be yeah. heading out. Yeah. Time. It'll be... Hopefully I'll get there before daylight. That's <laughs> uh, gonna suck, but that's yeah, that's what I was thinking. Before daylight. What else? Uh, what else do we got going on this uh, fall, Bob? Well, I don't know if we want to talk about our pack giveaway right now, but uh, to switch subjects, we yeah. do. Kafaru hooked us up with a sweet pack for a giveaway. We're gonna do. Yeah, good old fashioned photo. Photo contest on Instagram. I think it's gonna be awesome. Yeah, we'll we'll fill everybody in more details on that when we get around to getting the pictures and all that stuff put together for it. But uh, that'll be good. And then we got um, another. We got Bear hooked us up. Bear Archery hooked us up with a couple bows, and we got a little more running around to do on that. We got a couple other giveaways to uh, put together. Um, so that's going to be awesome. And we got a ton, ton of podcasts we need to do with some epic hunters from this fall already that we just got to find time to to get in touch with and tell some stories so yeah things are uh gonna be busy for sure yeah and, and for the listeners you know hit us up on uh tradquest podcast at, at gmail.com or send us a dm on instagram and let us know if there's some guys that you know no one's ever heard of that uh, are really getting it done with the stick and string and the 
in the woods or, uh, you know, maybe there's a guy that, uh, we've just overlooked. Yeah. So, and, you know, definitely if, send us some messages. Um, and if you have sent us messages and we haven't got them on there yet or contacted them, it's not because we're not going to, it's just, we have a lot of them, line, you know, a lot to, to line up and we only have so much time. I mean, we're regular guys that work regular jobs and we put a ton of time into this and we need more. So, if if you send us an email, we appreciate it, and we are looking into them, and we'll get there eventually. So keep sending them. We love it. Yeah. Keep sending them. We love it. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't we talk a little bit about the rest of elk season? I know we've recapped uh, your Nevada hunt, and we just released the Roosevelt hunt, um, which was a ton of fun. But let's get into uh, the, the Arizona hunt. All right. Well, I guess if we leave off from Nevada – I was able to now, come, I came home, it was, I was about 12 hours where I was hunting in Nevada from home, so we drove home that next day after I killed my bull, I had one day, we did that podcast, and we reloaded, and we headed down to Arizona, and we got there basically the, I think it opened on a Friday, so we got there the Thursday before the opener, it was about Oh man, it's such a long drive down there. It's 21 hours or something and we drove it straight through. We slept for a couple hours at a truck stop somewhere along the way. So we got there and, uh, it was hot and nasty, but, uh, we actually met up with, told, told everybody, hopefully my wife doesn't listen to this one, but we had that Greg Crow kind of do a little scouting package for us. He's a local guy down there been hunting that area forever and that basically consisted of us meeting up with him that day before season and he just kind of told us you know a bunch of bunch of areas on a map you know showed us on the map you know a whole bunch of areas and so that night we got up in there we set up our tent you know midday and that evening we hiked up to a knob to glass and shoot we never even made it to the knob because it was covered in elk and there was elk bugling all over and it was crazy man it was crazy so no big bulls we didn't see any big ones but it was awesome i put if you watched her i tried to do an instagram story but it was kind of spotty reception but but yeah that's how it started first night hearing bulls bugle so it doesn't get much better than that for sure so now is is this the same unit that you you is no, this the same no, unit that you and your dad and brother hunted 10 years ago? No, me and my brother, we hunted a different unit uh, 10 years ago. We we were kind of going to hold out this time for one of the premier ones, but they recently switched. I don't know if you follow Arizona. They recently switched how they do their draw, and now they're splitting it half, half and half. Non-resident tags, I think, are – don't quote me, but it's like 10% of the tags go to non-resident or something. And it used to be most of those went to the max point holders, but now they're doing half of them go to random and half of them max point. So that basically bumped us back a few years on drawing any of the really good ones. And we just get impatient and we like to go elk hunting. So, you know, we decided to throw in with the old man and just draw this. It's one of the easier ones to draw, but we, the unit we drew 10 years ago has gone way downhill supposedly. And so we went for a different one and, I'm glad we did that. The unit we drew 10 years ago, the bulls were 
not real callable. They would bugle, but they wouldn't come in. We had a, we called in a lot of bulls on this hunt, you know, not giant ones, but we called in a lot of elk. So I'm glad we did. And it's a, the unit we hunted this year was a bigger unit. Um, more, there's probably more people, but there's also more area and that, that desert country. If you find some areas that are, that you have to hike in a mile or so, there's usually not many people around there, you know? And so, uh, it was, yeah, it was good. So anyway, I'll get back on. I mean, I guess we can go kind of day by day as far as I can remember. But our goal is to get the old man an elk, obviously. He's been a bow hunting a long time. He's never killed one. He gets the elk fever a little bit. <laughs> so the first morning I took my dad out, called in a couple spikes and a little rag bowl, and he passed on them. But there was elk bugling everywhere. I mean, it was crazy how many elk were bugling. But after try to make it sh- this short so we're not talking forever but after a few days the pressure kind of pushed them off the- we we're kind of hunting these big flats big cedar flats and stuff and after a few days they just kind of were bugling less and less i called in i think the third day i called in a good bull i was by myself and I got a look at him when he was coming in. I thought he was just a smaller bull. He didn't have, he wasn't a big bull, but he was big enough. I should have shot him, but I missed my chances. He was coming in. He was walking pretty fast and he was coming kind of through this saddle to catch my wind. And he came by 20 yards. He went behind like two of the perfect trees to draw. I mean, two just super thick trees. That was my chance to draw, but I thought he was small and he stepped out 20 yards and he had, he was like all palmated on the left side and he was like a, I don't know, seven or eight point on that one side, a six point on the other, but he had a real short kind of squatty rack, but it was a neat looking bull. And I was like, oh, and so I still tried to draw, but I had no cover between me and him and he wheeled and was out of there um, before I could get a shot off. So that was kind of like, eh, I mean, it was cool. I was a little disappointed, but at that point, the elk were just bugling everywhere. And, and, uh, so I guess we called in another bull and that same couple days later, I took my brother in there and that was probably the biggest bull we saw. He was probably, he was a six by seven and he was probably three, three twenty ish, maybe somewhere in there. And he was coming in, he came from a long ways away. I mean, a long ways. And he came down across the valley. Are, are, are you guys after bulls that are bugling on their own? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're bugling on their own for the most part. The first few days they were. After that, it took some work to get them going. But yeah, the first few days bulls were, I mean, you would just park and you'd be getting your stuff ready. And you just hear elk bugling. <laughs> we heard them from the tent at night. Uh-huh. It was just, the first few days were crazy. I put a couple videos on our Instagram and you can just hear the bulls. It would be like, there'd be like bulls right around you bugling, like four or five. And then there'd be like bulls a few hundred yards out. And then just like as far out as you could hear, like just it almost like ringing in your ears. I've never, I mean, the first time I went to Arizona, there was a lot of elk bugling, but it's, 
it's just Arizona, man. It can, the elk just bugle there. I don't know what it is. It's crazy. And this is a crappy unit. This is like garbage unit to most Arizona guys. So, uh, yeah. Are you cow, are you cow calling or bugling or both? Or what's your calling strategies in um, this, uh, when you're saying you're calling these bulls in? I was just cow calling. Unless, unless I get, you know, got on a good herd bull, which I never really did, honestly. I never really got on a big herd bull. Um, I did, I did call in one that I, it, it had some cows with it. I thought it was, I was just going chasing bugles that morning. I, I heard him. He was pretty big. It sounded good. I had my dad with me and that one had some cows. So we had to, had to switch up our tactics and I finally got in close enough and screamed at him and, and he stepped out at like 30, but he was just a little dinker five point. But yeah, I was just cow calling pretty much, you know, unless, there was a big bull with some cows trying to call in a satellite bull. So, and they were, I was using, had a lot of good luck this year with the thick bugling bull call makes it, but it's called the, it's a little open read cow call called the trophy wife. Sweet name. That's why I bought it, but it was working good. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard good things about that trophy wife. Yeah. So anyway, um, and I, I have a diaphragm always in my mouth, cow call with. So yeah, we we're just cow calling them in. And, but that bull, that big bull with my brother, he was down in front of me and basically he was coming, but he was taking his time. And my brother, I don't know, my brother thought he hung up in the bottom or something. And I was up higher than I had a higher elevation. So I could see the bull the whole time. And at one point I'm seeing like the bulls walking our way and my brother's like walking down and it's pretty open to get closer. And I'm like, Ugh, what is he doing? And so while my brother was monkeying around, he spooked a cow across the draw and that cow kind of ran off by the bull. And so then that bull hung up and he decided eventually to turn and follow, you know, like go back the other way, kind of where that cow went. And then, uh, and then, we had a little weather change after like day five or six and man, it just, we thought it'd be good. It rained one night. It cooled off a little bit and it's like the elk just quit bugling. We had like four or five day stretch in there where you wouldn't. And even when the bulls were really screaming, you just had a window in the morning cause it gets, it got so hot where we were. You had a window until, Seven thirty, eight o'clock, and then it was dead. And then in the evenings, you know, six o'clock, five, six o'clock, maybe if they're really screwed. So you didn't have a ton of time to chase them. You know, it's like they it got hot quick. And how was the how was the hunting pressure? Would you be going after a bugling bull and have other hunters coming in from another side? Or? Um, not necessarily. That happened once, basically the whole time we were hunting. A lot of guys sit water there. And, um, yeah, it happened one time and actually we got on that bowl. That was kind of when it was slow. We got on him. We got in close enough to where we almost kind of bumped him. I saw him up ahead of us. He was just a nice five by six and I was calling and I could hear him walking. Like he was just right in front of us basically. And then I heard these other people coming in cause he was bugling. And it actually kind of pushed him back by and he walked right through a little opening. I cow called and stopped him at like 30 yards. My brother was at full draw, but he was just 
he's bigger than the bull my brother ended up killing, but <laughs> we passed him up, you know, he's very big, but no, not a ton. There was, there was definitely people around, but we were trying to hunt some of the places, you know, where there was nobody, you know, maybe less elk, but we we're kind of hunting some fringe areas. Like I said, if you, if you walked a mile, there wasn't many people around. So we were doing a lot of that basically. Crappy. Yeah. So I okay, know you so, guys all, all uh, shot bulls. Yep. Yep. So my dad ended up, uh, he, we finally found him a good water hole to sit on and he ended up killing a bull off a water hole somewhere in the middle of the hunt. So he was kind of done back to being our camp, camp cook and talking to the locals. That's one thing my dad's good at. He, he's a BSer. So he got, we got to know a lot of good locals, not a lot more good info about the unit, you know? And, uh, and then, like I said, we had a, we had a four or five day stretch in there that was tough. I mean, we were, we had just, you know, we'd hear a bull maybe grunt and then just shut up and, and we'd get right in on him, you know, and we, he just didn't want anything to do with us. You know, we'd kind of bump him off eventually or, or whatever. And that was it for the morning, you know, after hiking two miles in the desert, you know, be like, dang it, what happened? I mean, there was elk bugling everywhere, but that's just, you know, as well as I do, that's elk hunting. They can be around every tree and then nowhere. So we had a few of those days and we glassed and did whatever we could, sat water. I uh, started sitting water in the evening, in the evenings quite a bit. Um, I actually ended up missing that bowl that I passed on at a water hole, like on day five or six, probably. I had to shoot, I put up this mesh and I made a hole. And I remember telling my brother, I don't know what it is about shooting through those holes and those blinds, but I just, I shouldn't even shot. I can't hit anything. I don't know why it, it when I pull back, everything feels normal. But when I shoot, I just a sight picture thing for me. And I remember I put, put a hole in that thing and I told my brother, I was like, because we were sitting in a, it's a big water hole. They call them tanks in Arizona. We were sitting in a big pond basically. And so it was like 40 yards across it. Well, the only spot I would have a shot is like over on this one side. It was like 35 yards. So that's what I told my brother. I was like, if the ball comes in over here, I'm going to shoot. Any of the other ones, you know, that's you because he shoots compound. So. Sure enough, that same bull came in to that side and everything was perfect. I pulled back and swing and a miss. I mean, my arrow usually goes right where I'm looking. I shot. I mean, it was way off. It's like, no, I'm not shooting through those holes anymore. <laughs> anyway, that was our kind of only water hole excitement. Um, and then we had all those kind of dead days and, you know, we only had a few days left and it's like, okay, well, the next, next decent bull that comes in we're shooting you know so me and my brother went out and we were hunting that fringe area hiking into this place and we kind of got tired of hunting there and we talked to a couple of the guys that were camped around us and they'd been getting into them just right off you know back up on those flats again so we said well we'll just we're gonna drive in the morning and stop and listen and wait till we you know come up on some bulls bugling out there pretty simple right so we did that we drove around we'd stop and listen 
And I think about the third or fourth place we stopped, it was a little, still a little bit before daylight. We heard a bull bugle up on the mountain. So we unloaded our stuff and hiked up there and we hiked up over and they were on the other side of this little mountain in a draw. So once we got up to the top, we could hear a couple bulls bugling in there and we, we slipped down in there and I cow called and I called in a bull five by six. Or no, it was a little six by six. And it came right in. My brother, right into my brother, almost walked over him. And he kind of startled it. And then it ran out there. He cow called and stopped it. It, I don't remember, 30 or 40 yards, he said. And he shot it. So it ran across down into the little draw. And it was pretty open. So we watched him walk up over, walk up the other side. And he kind of got to some cover on the other side. And then he bedded down. And he bedded down for like, not long and they stood up and he bedded down again and we thought we saw him fall over like the second time but i also didn't see you know like a hole like he had wallowed in the mud on the way in, so i couldn't really tell where he hit him and blah 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 so i was a little nervous about the shot so we waited and there was another bull down below that bull and there was one in the drop above it and i didn't want to spook that bull and the one up above it was far enough away where we wouldn't spook him, but he wasn't really bugling much. Anyway, long story short, after about an hour, I finally told my brother, I was like, let's go up and try to kill that other bull. So we go up the hill. We got in there pretty close to where he was, where we'd last heard him bugle, and I cow called a couple times, and here he comes. So my brother dropped back, and he came in, and he got about 20 yards from me, and then my brother, he couldn't see what was going on, and I needed him to call to kind of bring him by me, but, you know, just as luck would have it, he was not calling at that time. So finally the bull kind of stood there, and he got a little nervous, and he turned, he basically did the real slow turn to leave, and so as soon as he did that slow turn... That's when I drew back, and then he kind of startled a couple steps, and I had my diaper in my mouth. A cow called, stopped him. He was quartering away, and boom, I let it go. Well, right, right before my arrow got there, he spun a little bit, and he was already quartering, and then when he spun, so I hit him back, you know, like guts, and I, and it didn't look like I got enough umph in there to get up into the chest. So I was like, oh man, not good, right? So my brother comes down. He couldn't even, I finally got my brother to come down. He didn't even, couldn't even hear that I shot. And I told him what happened and I, and it almost looked like he'd pushed the arrow back out almost all the way. So we waited a little bit and I told my brother, I was like, let's just go see if I can find my arrow down there. At least then I know how much penetration I got. So we, we slipped down there looking for my arrow and my brother's up above me a little bit. He's kind of motioning to me. I go up to him and he's like, he's bedded. I see him bedded like 80 yards. Let's just get out of here. So I didn't even look. We back out of there. And so now we got two bulls in the same draw. <laughs> and luckily it was like cloudy that day. It was the coolest day we had. And so I told my brother, I was like, I don't want to push him. I don't want to bump him. We'll just, <clears throat> let's, let's just wait him out. We I hiked up to the other mountain and glassed. To see if I could see them, but they get bedded in that those cedar bushes and stuff. It's really thick, so we ended up actually going back to camp, getting something to eat, 
giving him some time, and we came back. And so I told my brother, I said, hey, let's, since you know right where mine is, let's slip in there, and I'll see if, you know, if I have to shoot it again, I can shoot it again. And then we'll go across the draw and get yours. And he's like, okay. So we go in there to where we left mine, and my brother can be such an idiot sometimes. He's like, I, I'm like, where was it, you know? I don't know. Like, I'm like, what do you mean you don't know? Like, we're, you, you were standing right here. He's like, are you sure? I don't think I was standing here. I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? Like, you think you would mark which tree it was under or something? Like, what the hell? And he's just like, I don't know. I'm like, oh, my God, you are such an idiot. So I'm like, let's get the hell out of here before we scare this thing. So we, we get out of there. I'm all pissed at my brother. I'm like, let's go find yours. So then we go. We go right to where we last saw my brothers, and it was just laying there dead. I'm like, okay, good. We got this thing. Uh, I told him, I said, okay, you, dad was waiting back at the four-wheelers. I told, I said, you go get dad, and you guys start cutting this thing up. I got to go find mine now, which is basically a needle in a haystack. No blood. Knew I hit him way back in the guts. Like, I got some work to do. And, I, you know, I got a few hours before it gets dark now. So I'm all frustrated. I, I slip back over there. I get to where I last saw him. I got my binoculars out. I'm just basically creeping, checking under every bush in this draw. And I'd been up and glass the hill. So like I knew there was a thick little, there's like, he's got to be bed in this draw basically. And any chance he might have hopped over the other side and I'll check over there. So I'm just easing my way through. And I get probably 150 yards from where I, the shot was, and I see, I see embedded under a tree. I could see like the back half of him. I'm like, oh, that's gotta be him. And so I kick my shoes off and he's down the hill from me probably 100 yards. And now I got a good afternoon breeze, so everything's perfect. Just kick my shoes off. I get to about 80 yards, 60 yards maybe, and then I'm like, I better, there was a cedar bush right in front of him, and I knew that was like as close as I could get. And I might have to do some movement. So then I kick my pack off and I just drop it. So I got a string of trail behind me and I get up to the, that last cedar bush and I got a little hole to shoot through probably the size of maybe a little bigger than a pie plate. And I got two little limbs hanging down and I can't, if I try to, he's like 35 yards maybe. And I, if I try to get under, Go under that, I'll, you know, I'll spook the thing. He's just right there. His head's kind of behind some stuff, but I can see his rack. I know it's the same bull. He's moving, you know, he's up, you know, he's moving around. His head's moving around, so he's still alive. And I got perfect shot at the vitals. I just got to make it through this little hole that's like three or four yards in front of me and in there, right? So I knock an arrow. I'm like, this is, this is it, you know, as good as it's going to get. And I pull back, pick a spot, and boom, that first shot, Tink hits one of those limbs and rattles through the, the brush. Oh. And, yeah. And he, and he stand, it actually rattled through the brush and hit him in the neck, which obviously is not good. But he stands up and he doesn't, he has no idea what just happened, right? It's a little windy. He's, he's been laying there for a couple hours. Like, boom, he stands up and he turns almost towards me a little bit and, 
I by then I had another arrow knocked. He's quartered towards me, and I'm like, "This is it." I remember as I drew back, I'm like, "You have to make this shot, or this elk is gone forever." You know, like I picked that spot, man, and that arrow just it just sailed home. Just I just remember it. Shoosh, could see those feathers spinning, and it just buried to the fletches right behind the shoulder, and I knew he was done. He just he basically spun around ran down down the draw so i ran back up the draw so i could see down in there you know and um and i ran up the draw and i got and then i see him he's walking and then i see him just like basically face plant into this cedar bush you know it's rack and everything just kind of like kind of just augered in there and he was done and i was just so thankful man it was so i got lucky it's super lucky to find him again and you know, nobody ever wants to lose an animal. That's the worst feeling in the world. So I was just super relieved. And then we had two bulls down in the same draw. And it was all good from there, you know. I went back and helped my brother chop up his. And we came over and got mine all quartered up. And So it was, was good. the first hit a classic gut, gut, gut yep. shot? Yep. Yeah, he was just, he was already quartering. And when he turned... And so I have, you know, I shoot those white, I shoot three white feathers, all white dipped. And, and I, I don't know if they just see that coming. They always seem to flinch a little bit right before my arrow gets there. So I got Andy making me some darker colored ones for our late hunt. Um, and he was keyed up, you know, like I said, if, if he would have just came by me like they're supposed to, he wouldn't have, uh, keyed up but he was you know he was only 30 yards or less that first shot but i mean the that bow that new bow of mine man it just it shoots where you're looking it was great man it was just like magic because <laughs> the thing with arizona where we were was the rockiest place on earth dude you wouldn't believe it like you were walking all day on like boulders it kills your feet your ankles like it is just nasty and so there were, the only thing I could shoot at stump shooting wise was these big giant cactuses. And even then your arrow would blow through them and hit a rock. I mean, there's, it was rocks everywhere. So I wasn't able to shoot like usual, you know, just to keep my confidence up yeah. stump shooting nonstop. And so I was just like kind of in between there in the confidence world. But, but that shot, you know, all those shots were good. Perfect besides the blind shot, you know, that one, but those don't count. I don't count that. <laughs> so, yeah. All, oh. all that, uh, good juju you got on that bow, huh, Bob? Yeah, exactly. Larry Jones kissed it for good luck. So it worked. I'll never forget that last shot I made on that bull. It was just so one of those, you know, like Nugent says, the mystical flight of the arrow. Like I just, I'll never forget that. Just sailing it. Just I actually shot it with some arrows Andy made me a couple years ago. They're big banana feathers. There's like two two white and one red, and they're like five and a half inch banana cut, and it had a grizzly on the end of it. I was a little low on arrows this year. Andy was kind of too busy to make me some, so I was pulling a Yolt Robertson. I had several different arrows in my quiver <laughs> by the time the end of the hunt was there. But that arrow, man, it was you could just. Oh, such a good sight. Just arcing through that hole and just boom, just burying in there. It was so cool. That so, uh, highlight of the year. That's sure. what makes hunting with 
Yeah, that's what makes hunting with the stick bow so awesome is that you pick that spot with your mind and you send that arrow down there and you're conscious. You get to watch that arrow head in that direction and hit where you hit the mark that you picked out. Um, you don't get that with a compound or a rifle. No. I mean, most of, like, my brother and dad, they don't shoot the fastest bows. Like, where'd you hit it? Like, they're like, well, I think I hit it. I think I drilled it. It's good. Like, those arrows fly so fast anymore. Like, you miss out on that. Like, uh, yeah, it's definitely well, different. But they don't if you're, if you're looking off. through, but if you're, if you're looking at a, at a, at a sight pin, you're looking way above the arrow. So you're not really watching yeah. your arrow. You're, yeah. you're using a sight pin. So you miss out on that, that even if the arrow isn't going fast. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, there's, there's some, uh, there's some caveman awesomeness to the shooting the stick bow that is not replicated in any other way. It's just something about it, man. It's just, it was cool. So to, and to end it on that shot where I told myself to, I remember like, I drew back and I told myself, like, this shot has to be perfect. And I usually don't think about anything when I shoot. You know, I'm just picking a spot and I got you, you know, like, but I remember telling myself, like, this is my last shot. Like, I, you have to make this shot, Robert. You have to make this shot. And it, it was awesome. Very awesome. Well, yeah. so you've got a, a two bowl season. Looks like you got elk meat for a couple years. I'm yeah. jealous. Yeah, those those uh one thing about those Arizona bulls though, they had a pretty serious drought this year, you know, and a lot of guys turned their tags back in because the horn growth and everything, which whatever, you know, we we tried to kill some big bulls. There's definitely a few big ones around there, but we you know, it's hard to be a trophy hunter from Oregon. You just can't help yourself after a while, but but uh when we were there, I guess they had a really good monsoon season this summer. The monsoons come in the end of July, beginning of August, I guess. Green grass, you know, two feet tall everywhere. It was just like a – it was beautiful. But you could tell they had a rough rest of the year, man. Those bulls didn't have a lot of meat on them. I mean, they were thin, way thin compared to my yeah. bull. Both of them. It was weird. It was – I've never seen – you know, usually you shoot an elk and they're big, hefty. I mean, they're just like – they're big animals, and these are big animals, but they just didn't have a lot of meat on their bones and compared to, I'm sure, a normal year. and It's just kind of crazy how nature, you know, is, and it's harsh, man. It's 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 a harsh life for those elk out there, especially out there in that desert when they have a rough drought like that because you could tell. I mean, I was like, man, that thing's pretty thin. And even its hide, like skid in my bull, the hide was super thin. It was just like super thin. I don't know if that was because of the drought or the the whatever, but it just seemed like he had a real thin hide, not a lot of meat on him. I mean, I got almost 100 pounds more meat off my Nevada bull than my Arizona bull. Yeah, he looked pretty lean. Yeah. Anyway, so that was that. Was that. Yeah, it was a good year for sure. It's going to be hard to talk. Sounds like a, an amazing adventure. Yeah, creating those memories with your father and – Brothers, super special, and um, getting to have your wife and daughter to come to Nevada. I mean, it sounds like you just had a really, really memorable uh, elk season. Yeah, it was great, man. And my wife was just super awesome this year. You know, usually you hear guys that hunt a lot, and then you hear their talk to their wives, and they're just like these little just angels that just like, yeah, I really whatever he wants. And 
<laughs> my wife ain't like that. I'm just gonna say, like, it's usually a knockdown, drag out battle every hunting season around my house. And, uh, this year she just stepped it up and she just was so supportive the whole time. I couldn't believe it. It was just, it, and it made it so nice. Like even toward the end in Arizona, I posted that on the Instagram, but I had, you know, I had a few days left and I was beat, man. I mean, I, nap time was, you don't get the mountain naps when you're hunting that desert. It was miserable. It got, you know, by nine o'clock in the morning, it was hotter than crap and the flies and we're in a wall tent. So it was just, we were beat. And, uh, I had a sick kid at home. My daughter was sick and she's a nightmare when she's sick. She stays up all night fussing and blah, blah, blah. And my wife, I talked to her and, and she was, you know, dealing with the kid and she kind of hung up and then she texted me back and she was like, Hey, you've got a few days left. Keep your head up. You know, the big ones around the next corner or something. And I was just like, wow, that was, that was super cool, man. So, uh, I gotta, gotta give some kudos to the wife for letting me. She said not that she was counting, but I was gone elk hunting for 34 days. <laughs> so, and we got another hunt coming up. So I gotta, gotta give her some props for letting me, let me go run around the hills. That's for sure. Yeah, man. Living your trad quest to the fullest. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Well, once again, we'd like to, uh, thank the listeners. Uh, we're doing this all for you guys. We do have some awesome giveaways. Hey, Bob, we should go ahead and give away uh, a shirt and a hat and stuff on Instagram this week, too. Why not? All right. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. We'll do a hat and shirt giveaway this week. We'll throw that up, tag some friends, and we'll give some of that stuff away. I think we got some stickers, too, that we can yep. throw in. And we got some big giveaways that we alluded to in the beginning of the show. So be looking for a Kafaro pack giveaway and a couple uh full bow package giveaways coming this uh winter fall yeah and we hope everybody's uh, having a fun and safe season deer season's ramping up all over the country yeah and we have uh the and we're hoping to get a lot of photos in from the uh, photo contest so we'll get that uh up and running here in the next couple weeks uh don't forget to tell all your friends about the podcast subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Check us out on Instagram. Uh, send us an email at tradquestpodcast at gmail.com. And always keep the wind in your face, pick a spot, and shoot straight. Are you